Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Katie. She was born and raised in California, and then she traveled across the United States to the East Coast for undergrad, then went back to California to get her PhD in neuroscience, and now she's in Paris. She is doing postdoctoral research in Paris, and I'm very jealous of her exciting life. So Katie, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit more about you? Hi, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's also kind of surreal because I genuinely do listen to the podcast. So it's funny to be on it from this end to see the recording in real time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I, you know, when Sarah first you messaged me about coming on at first, I was like, well, I don't know, I'm just kind of living my life. Like, (laughs) I don't know if I have a story. But then I went back and listened to more of your podcast. And I like that you make the argument that everyone has a story, which is pretty cool. Um, And then I thought about it more and remembered that I have had kind of a year unlike most of the other years of my nearly 30 years of existence. Um, (laughs) You know, I, in the last year, I, in no particular order, got my first tattoos, got married, finished a PhD, um, and moved to Europe and started working here so and i'm probably forgetting other stuff um but yeah it's been pretty crazy a lot can definitely happen in a year uh especially Mm -hmm. you know right after a pandemic um so i'm curious because i don't know if i knew that you got tattoos and like i of course know katie outside Mm -hmm. of the podcast so can you please (laughs) share with the audience what your tattoos are yes absolutely so it was Basically, when I realized I was going to be moving to Paris, I realized there was a bit of a deadline because I was nervous about trying to communicate in French to a Parisian tattoo artist what I wanted. But I'd been promising myself for years that when I finished my PhD, I would get my first tattoo. It's something I've kind of wanted for a while, but my parents don't love tattoos. But I figured once I have a PhD at the end of my name, I'm probably self-sufficient enough to actually do this for myself. So before uh, we left California, I got uh, on one arm a uh, two California poppies intertwined to represent that I've spent so much of my life there. And then on my other arm, I got a microglial cell, which is one of the main cells that my PhD was about. (laughs) So two very different, but I'm very pleased with both. They both represent big things I've done in my life. (laughs) Definitely. So do you be willing to share a little bit about what it was like first leaving California for undergrad? Yeah, I, um, you know, by the time I was getting done with high school, I was really excited for college. I've always loved school, hence me continuing to do schools for so long. Um, But being a teenager and feeling a little bit rebellious, um, I really wanted to get out and travel a little bit. And um getting to head to the East Coast for college really kind of just fell into my lap in an unexpected way. I mean, I'd worked for it, obviously, but I hadn't expected that's where I was going to end up. Um, And I was so excited to get out of town and, you know, went to this tiny town in Pennsylvania. And I'm really glad I did because I got to meet incredible people and do incredible things. Um, 
And of course, by the end of it, when it was time for grad school, I realized I was going to be headed back to California, which I think my parents still laugh about a little bit because I was so excited to leave for college. And then I came right back for college round two. (laughs) And what was your PhD program like? Yeah, um, really incredible. I mean, I'm still not that far removed from it, right? We're recording at the start of September and I technically finished the degree in December but then didn't leave for a little while longer because figuring out the move to Paris and everything took some time. Um, Yeah, it was incredibly transformative for me, both scientifically and personally. Um, I kind of went into it knowing that I loved science. I have for a long time. I think cells are incredible and super fascinating. And I was excited that there was a possibility to fold that into a career and During undergrad, um, my professors were really incredible to me, like showing me what kinds of careers were possible in science and that you could be a scientist. So I figured, well, I really like school. (laughs) I really like science and these professors exist. So maybe I could also be a professor, but then to do that, you need a PhD. Um, So I kind of knew roughly what I wanted to do. And I roughly knew what I wanted to do as far as the actual science goes. Basically, I think eyes are awesome. And there's this little bit of the eye that lines the back of your eye called the retina. And it's the part of your body that can actually capture photons of light and turn it into signals that your body can then understand, which is crazy that we can do that. Um, And I was like, well, I need to know more about this tissue because it's beautiful. The cells are gorgeous. They're highly specialized. It's just fascinating to me. So I basically went into grad school knowing I kind of probably want to be a professor. And I think the retina is super cool. And throughout the many years, you know, I got to dive in and really specialize. And I still want to be a professor if possible, but know even more about what it's like to potentially be a scientist at different levels. And um, which I in theory, I guess, knew what happened when I showed up there. But being on the other end of it is still quite different. And yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. It changed so much, in fact, that when I showed up, I wanted to study the retina. And I do to this day still study the retina, but I kind of assumed I'd be studying neurons. That's why I went into a neuroscience program. And I did do a little bit of work on neurons. I I do know a little bit about them, but I ended up being in some ways the worst neuroscience student because I actually study immune cells most of my life now. I kind of now look at it in the context of neurodegeneration, but I mean, even that change, it might seem rather minute on the scale of all things in the world, but when you're a scientist, you have to focus on some tiny niche, switching from neurons to immune cells in the same tissue is like a huge shift. So (laughs) underwent a lot during the PhD, but really, really glad I did it. And so then as your PhD program was go- coming to a close, what was that transition like? Yeah, it was very strange. I kind of didn't totally feel like I was ready to graduate. Not necessarily, like, you know, I'd, I'd done the coursework, I'd done research, I'd published papers. A few people in the world had even read my papers. I, I knew I had done the science and the work, but I also just felt like I had 
just figured out how to be a grad student. But my mentor, um, so if, if for any listeners who don't know, when you do a PhD in science, you join a lab and a professor is kind of your main mentor. They help guide your scientific um, goals and experiments. And they're the ones that bring in the big bucks to actually pay for the experiments. Um, and they kind of mentor you through the whole process. And when I was wrapping up, my mentor was telling me she thought I was ready. And I said how I felt like I just figured out how to be a grad student. And she was like, yeah, that's how you know you're ready. Like, you've figured it out. It's now time for the next thing. And then compounding me, just barely feeling like I had even figured out grad school yet. Um, this was right at kind of the tail end of the most severe part of the pandemic. You know, I know we're still not out of it. COVID's still absolutely a part of our lives. But at the end, I was finally able to like go back into lab a little bit, starting to occasionally see people. And since I knew I wanted to go the professor route if possible, kind of the next step after a PhD, um, if you want to be a professor that does research, you kind of have to do what's called a postdoc, uh, which I think of as um, kind of a training for a professor like grad school you get the science you learn how to do science you learn how to think science and then in a postdoc you figure out what your personal science is like what you bring to the world and also then how to be a professor um and so i was getting on the job market for that i was looking at who might be hiring sending out some cold emails applying to um, responding to advertisements and um Luckily, I was able to fly out to a few of them to interview, but it was very strange because it was my first travel basically after the pandemic too. So I was very excited to get to go in person, but it was really strange that kind of big lockdowns were wrapping up as I was then starting to fly around and meet people and give talks. Um, so it was a, it was a surreal experience all around. It was kind of like two massive things were ending simultaneously entirely unrelated but just kind of converged in my life um and then oddly enough the job i didn't interview for was the one in paris <laughs> but that's where i've ended up <laughs> so then can you take us through what it was like realizing you needed to move to paris yeah so i knew i needed to move um even though at the end of high school, I desperately wanted to leave California. By the end of grad school, it wasn't like I hated it. I was happy where I was. Um, I really loved the people I was working with at the university and in the lab. Um, but there's this thing in science where um, it's important to get a wide breadth of training. And looking ahead in my career, I knew I would have to start applying for grants to fund my own research at a level that I hadn't before. I'd gotten some funding for like basically my personal stipend, the money that comes into my bank account, but not the money that you need to run a lab to pay for reagents. Um, and part of that, those applications, they want to know who trained you and what your training is like so they can get an idea of if you will spend their money well <laughs> and if you will actually be able to do the experiments you're saying you would like to use the money on. Um, but part of that is they want to see that you've received training from a variety of people. And I'd worked in the lab where I got my PhD for my whole PhD, but I'd also worked a little bit over the summers um, during undergrad. So I'd worked in this lab a long time. So in order for me to have a lucrative career where I had a better chance of getting funding to then do 
science I wanted to do, run my own lab one day, hopefully, I knew I had to get training from other people as well. Um, I could have worked in that lab for forever and been perfectly happy. Um, but, you know, and it is a good thing to learn from other people as well. There's lots of brilliant people in the world. So I knew I would have to leave at some point, but I was mostly interviewing in the United States. That's where I had lived my whole life. I traveled a little bit outside of the U.S., um, but never lived anywhere for longer than outside of the U.S. for more than maybe a couple weeks. Um, so I figured I would just go somewhere else in the United States. You know, I was looking anywhere in the U.S., which is pretty big, but I figured it would be in the United States. Um, but then a cool thing about science is you can work with people from anywhere. And the professor who I work with now happened to email my mentor right when I was wrapping up my PhD, like while I was actively writing my dissertation and preparing to give my big presentation of my research at the end. Um, and wanted just to see if our lab could do a couple experiments that might complement the work that he was doing, but that we kind of just had a better setup to do, which is great. In our modern age, we can do an experiment and then over the internet, send the data and collaborate. Um, so we started working on this collaboration a little bit. As a senior member of the lab, I was working on that. It was a nice project to kind of work on while doing dissertation writing and wrapping up stuff in the lab. Um, and since this was right, pandemic is going down a notch and people are starting to travel again. Uh, this guy was like, well, I'm actually flying to California to see friends anyways. Maybe I can stop by the lab, meet you guys in person, um, see some of the updates on how the experiments have been going. Cause we had all met him before, but it had been a couple of years. And, um, I think also partially he was just excited to visit with the pandemic rolling down a little bit. Um, so he visited in early December and, by that point, I had done a few interviews. I actually had a couple offers that I was considering for my postdoc, um, but he needed to be picked up from the airport that was a couple hours away. And so I offered to pick him up. Um, and during the drive, he was asking what I was up to. And I was like, well, I'm, I literally like just submitted my dissertation. I'm actually like, you know, I wrapping up uh, interviewing at jobs. And he asked where, and then he was like, well, you know, I have a postdoc who's about to leave to go off. He's getting a job at a big pharmaceutical company to go develop therapeutics there. So I'm looking for someone to help my lab run more. And I thought, well, maybe let me think about it. <laughs> and uh, two days later, we were talking about the potential of a job. Um, it was very much... To me, it felt very much like an awkward scientific Jane Austen novel because um, he's uh, the man I work for now is a great scientist. I've been reading his work for years. I've met him at conferences. Um, my PhD mentor also thinks he's a great scientist. So when he is visiting, she was really hoping that this postdoc would happen. So like the third day of his visit, she serendipitously, we'd all we have our coffees in the office and she goes, Oh, I, I absolutely must respond to this email and waltzed off to her office. And then the other scientist who was there, a senior scientist in the lab went, Oh, you know, I actually, I really have to check on this one piece of machinery right now. It can't wait. I'm so sorry, Katie and Florian. I hope you two have something you could maybe talk about in the meantime. 
And <laughs> so we're sitting there with our coffees and I said, okay, so what would a postdoc in Paris maybe look like? <laughs> and um, after talking about projects and lab culture and how that works, we basically shook on it and said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this. And then immediately my mentor jumped out and said, oh, are you going to postdoc in Paris? <laughs> and then we, we were just off to the races, <laughs> figuring out how to get here. <laughs> and so what was that like trying to figure out how to move and then like just be in Paris where the primary language is not English? Yeah. Simultaneously, moving internationally has been easier and more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, easier in the sense that I had a job. I wasn't just trying to move to France for fun and then figure it out when I got here. Um, and France is really excited about science as a, as a country. So getting the visa wasn't too difficult as far as getting a visa to move internationally goes. Um, oddly enough, scientists are considered talent. So I'm on a talent visa, which is pretty easy to get through, but feels a little too grandiose <laughs> for doing lab work. Um, but that was, it was still a lot of paperwork and it all happened pretty quickly. They said the discussions about the job were in December and then he said, so how soon can you start? And I was like, I don't know how long it takes to get a visa to move. Um, and he was like, let's shoot for April, um, which I feel like is a fast turnaround, even if I was only going to move within the United States. So basically, immediately, I had to submit to get my uh, passport renewed, because even though it was valid, it wasn't valid long enough for the French government to be willing to give me a long term visa. Then I had to start the visa paperwork um, and then also figure out how to find an apartment. <laughs> um, I've had to start refreshing the French a little bit too. I'm still not great at French. Um, luckily, science is largely done in English around the world so that everyone can communicate. Scientific publications are largely in English. Conferences are largely in English. I'm okay at speaking English, so that wasn't too big of a problem. But uh, I did take a couple years of French in high school. So even now, when I take the train to and from work, I'm doing lessons to refresh myself and learn more French so that day to day, you know, I can actually interact with people better. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of paperwork and trying to get paperwork done really fast, trying to get visa appointments quickly. And um, in within all of that, too, I've been with my partner, Derek, for now that I'm trying to say, I don't remember exactly how long, but over eight years. And we were engaged. We knew we were we were the end game. We were going to be together, but we weren't in a real rush to get married. Neither of us, you know, we want to be married, but marriages are, or weddings rather, are big to plan. And I was in the midst of finishing a PhD and then trying to get a job. So it wasn't the top of my priority list to schedule a wedding but we realized it'd be a lot easier for him to move to Paris with me if we were married. So we figured we needed to push that up. So then in the midst of all of our paperwork, also figuring out how to get married basically as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> that way all the paperwork could go through. We're not, we're not a green card marriage. We were going to get married. Just 
the, the scheduling happened a little differently than expected. So it was a real rush <laughs> to get everything together. But at the same time, paperwork went through and, you know, the French are happy to have scientists come here. And even with all the stress, things have largely worked out. Paris is a pretty easy city to live in once you figure it out a little bit. And I found that I feel at home here really quickly, even though I don't speak great. <laughs> so do you ever like wish that you had been able to get the like wedding that you had probably once thought you were going to when you first got engaged instead of the quicker process? <laughs> Yeah, I I kind of assume that at some point we'll have some sort of proper-ish celebration. You know, it, it would be great to actually celebrate with loved ones. I felt kind of bad that most of the people in my life found out I got married basically on social media because there wasn't really the time or ability to tell people. <laughs> um, but at the same time... I don't know. I've never really done things perfectly conventionally. I've just sort of gone with the wind. Like, yeah, let me jump across the country for college. And now let me jump across the ocean for this job. So in a way, I think it ended up being a little bit fitting. <laughs> and it still ended up being beautiful. I I don't know if science ends up not working out. I think I have an okay career potentially planning, you know, like 48 hour weddings if need be. <laughs> beautiful still were able to have a couple friends there we brought our dog so he's in our wedding photos and i mean what more could you ask for <laughs> and we were talking earlier uh before recording that your dog is in paris with you but you could not bring the cats as my cat is deciding he wants to like eat the microphone <laughs> um so what has it been like with the dog in paris yeah so long-term goal is to get all of the pets out here, especially since I was recently awarded a fellowship by the Fondation de France, which is a very fancy way of saying basically that I wrote up science that I would like to do while I'm here. And a funding agency said, that sounds worthwhile. We'll pay your personal money. So I'm able to be here for another couple of years. So since we'll be here for a while and we really like it. So who knows? Maybe I'll get to stay longer even, but that's two years is so far in the future. <laughs> so uh, we just brought the dog at first because we have a dog and two cats. So that's three pets, but only two humans. And it's pretty difficult to move internationally with more pets than humans. Um, so we decided to just bring the dog with us. It's been a pretty big adjustment for him. I've never lived in a city before, and he hasn't either, unless... You count Chico, California, when he was astray on the streets before he was rescued, but I don't think he would count that either. Paris is a slightly larger city. So it's been strange also him adjusting to the city. He's learned about the subway and taking trains, and he doesn't love the subway, but he puts up with it. But he loves taking trains around the country because he gets to just sit on our laps and watch the countryside go by. Um, I'm a little convinced that French dogs speak a different dialect than Americans because he doesn't seem to fully understand them. <laughs> but at the same time, it's been kind of great. Like taking him on walks has been an excuse for both me and uh, my now husband to explore the area and wander around the city um, and can casually talk to other dog owners a little bit. 
So we're glad to have him. And then it'll be great to get the cats here eventually too. I miss them terribly. Um, but you know, one step at a time. <laughs> so is your visa then good for two years? So that is going to be a fun thing. The way postdocs work, um, and I think this is just from convention. A lot of science is really rooted in just, this is how it's been done. Um, postdocs tend to be a one-year contract that's then renewed, especially when they first were kind of created. The idea was just to take a little bit of time after your doctorate to learn how to be a professor and then become a professor. But now there's a lot more people with doctorates and not a ton of professor jobs at any given time. Um, and being a professor has become complicated. So there's a lot of, um, a lot more to do. Postdocs have gotten a lot longer, but there's still tend to be a one-year contract that's unrenewed. And so my visa is only for one year for my first year here. And then I got the, uh, fellowship. I actually wrote the application for the money before I got the visa. And then I got the money after I got the visa <laughs> that says I'll be here longer. So in a couple months, I have to start talking with the various governments involved to figure out how to extend my visa as seamlessly as possible. I'm sure it will be a lot of paperwork. I'm sure in the moment I won't love it, but everything has kind of worked out so far. So I'm not actually too stressed because I really like what I'm doing and I have at least enough support for what I'm doing that I'm pretty sure I'll be allowed to stay. <laughs> Just have to figure out the paperwork. Always the paperwork. Always. And truly, the French government does not joke around with just how much paperwork they have. It's kind of incredible. And will Derek always be able to kind of just be like a trailing spouse sort of situation that he's kind of just part of your visa? Yeah, it's it's actually really funny. We don't even fully understand how his visa works. I'm sure the governments do, but it's funny because I'm hosted via my employer, but he's kind of hosted via me. But some of his paperwork has to have the address of like the French host, which was not me because I wasn't in France when we were writing our visa application. So he's also partially hosted by my employer. I'd asked my employee, uh, the uh, university who I'm employed for, and they were like, yeah, just put us down. It's probably fine. But basically, as long as I have a visa and as long as we have a marriage certificate, he's welcome to hang out with me, which is great. <laughs> That's convenient. Very. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, moving here on my own would not have been as fun. <laughs> yes. Now, because you're in Europe, are you able to travel outside or is it still a little bit difficult with COVID and other world events? Yeah, it's very different from the United States, at least in Paris. COVID seems to mostly be out of people's minds. I still tend to wear a mask on the metro just because it's a lot of people. And I hear enough coughs on my daily commute to be concerned. I'm not the only person wearing a mask, but I would say about 90% of the people on the metro don't wear a mask. Um, so there's not too much concern. Or Well, when we first arrived, masks were still required on public transit, but then pretty quickly that was lifted. People don't seem to care quite as much. I did actually catch COVID while here, um, but got very lucky that it wasn't too bad. Mostly I just slept a lot. Um, <laughs> and the, the biggest bummer in some ways was that I had to take a week off of work. Um, I really like what I'm doing, so it's kind of a bummer to have to do that. And we also happened to have two friends in the city who were here for a scientific conference and we didn't get to see them 
because we were on our own personal COVID lockdown. Um, so it's still here, but people don't seem to worry about it that much. I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, things could change, obviously, but it's very relaxed in a way that I'm still not fully used to. But, uh, you know, so I still, luckily, Paris loves eating outside. There's lots of outdoor cafes, so that's been easy. I don't know how that's going to change as we slide into the colder months. Um, but, yeah, it was a really big shock. <laughs> and temperature-wise, is Paris at all similar to California or central Pennsylvania? Like, how are you managing the different weather? It's glorious. I came from California that was really hot and didn't get enough rain and the state was on fire all the time and here it rains and I can wear a sweater occasionally and not overheat. It's wonderful. Um, we're just now sliding in to fall over here and I'm really excited to see all the leaves change through the city because Paris is already gorgeous, but oh, I would imagine Paris in the fall is going to be even more beautiful and then it might snow in the winter, which I'm thrilled about. Love snow. <laughs> Don't get that where I was in California. So it's, it's yeah, it's a beautiful city. And I'm really excited to kind of go through my whole first year going between all the seasons. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's still all very new. Yes. Now, you mentioned earlier that you're still kind of brushing up on your French. So what has it been like? kind of interacting with people and you said science is in English which is great and does your husband speak French yeah so I have the most French in our house right now I did take it for a little bit in high school enough that my transition hasn't been awful I'm still very slow at speaking but I understand pretty well so like if there's a conversation going on I can follow it it just often takes me a little too long to form a complex sentence in order to be fully involves myself um but i can do the basics and luckily yeah like i said science is largely in english and even when people aren't speaking in english for science a lot of the scientific words are basically the same um you know i mentioned one of the things i study is microglia and french is microglia just throw an accent on it that's kind of the way most science words work which is great um so that's been okay my husband um took some german in high school and some arabic in college so no french whatsoever uh it's been a lot of he's doing duolingo and studying on his own and then he'll ask me questions and will sometimes message in french for a little bit um so that's still a little strange but it hasn't been too bad. People tend to know enough english that honestly most of the time when they see me starting to put together a sentence slowly they go oh English? And I'm like, oh, yes, but I I would like to practice my French if at all possible. <laughs> and it's all, so the English is fine. Uh, Parisians, honestly, are still very, as long as I make an effort with the French, they seem to not be mad about it. We can figure it out. And with modern translating tools, that helps a lot too. So I've never been in too big of a bind. Um, and I've been pleasantly surprised by how incredibly multicultural it is at my work. I work at a research institute and on any given day, I'll walk around and hear French, English, Italian, German, Spanish, and Chinese, like all within one day. So the language barrier hasn't been quite as severe as I think it might've been if I had moved somewhere else or if I were in a different career path. 
And are you hoping to visit other countries during your time there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, really want to take some advantage of having everything be closer than in the U.S. Um, we've already taken one big vacation down to the southern coast of the country, which was glorious. The Mediterranean is wonderful. Very well-deserved vacation spot. But everything's pretty close, right? We can get on a train to London pretty easily. Um, and we're not far from a lot. So we are planning various vacations. Um, plus, very excitingly, uh, the French really care about vacation and work-life balance. To an extent I didn't expect when we moved here, but I actually have the vacation in order to take advantage of being in Europe. If anything, I'm kind of the issue there because I do really like my work and I'm not great at taking a ton of time off. Um, for the big summer vacations, a lot of people at the Institute took two, three, four full weeks off. And I took one, <laughs> which they all said was incredibly American of me. <laughs> but <laughs> I do have the time. We just kind of have to put it together and figure out all of our travel plans. <laughs> Right. You've got so many options. So it's not like mm -hmm. there's an easy default. Oh, I know it's, it's a, we're truly spoiled for choice. <laughs> Is there anywhere that you've been that you want to go back to? I do want to make it back to Prague at some point while I'm here. I visited briefly when I was in high school. Um, and, but it was on a, it, combined trip it was for um a symphony that i was playing with we went on a little mini european tour um but you know i was in high school and we were there for a few days i would imagine i loved it then i can only imagine i'll like it even more now that i'm an adult who can actually take some time and not be traveling with a group of other high school students <laughs> and do you still do anything with music that's kind of the thing that's been the least smooth out of the transition so far, I think. So I guess for our listeners, since Sarah already knows all this about me, but there will be other people listening to this. Um, <laughs> much like Sarah, I too am a musician kind of, you know, on the other side of things. It's not my main job, but um, I've played double bass for a very long time. I kept performing through grad school. I played with the university symphony and, you know, I haven't, done anything massive yes you get more and more into science you get less and less time to practice um but uh double bass is one of the larger instruments you can choose to play so that really wasn't possible to bring with us especially paris is famous for its tiny apartments and it would take up quite a considerable chunk of our apartment so my instrument is still in california with my parents I haven't figured out if I want to rent one here or how that would work or who I would perform with. Um, there are lots of options, but there are also a lot of really incredible options. And I don't know if I'm quite talented enough to align myself with some of the best Parisian ensembles right now. <laughs> so I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to keep music going just yet, but it's, it's, it's somewhere on the to-do list. Yeah. Now you mentioned the size of the instrument. How much did you bring when moving to Paris? Yeah, we brought four suitcases, <laughs> one of which was mostly dog things and my husband's um, tower for his desktop computer. He didn't bring his monitors, just like the 
computer bits. I don't know. I don't speak computer. Um, so it was basically his computer and then wrapped in, you know, like a dog bed and some dog blankets and some other dog related items. So it was basically three suitcases that we brought. Um, I took up more of those than he did. <laughs> um, which is, I was sort of worried about bringing so little, um, because, you know, we knew we were moving for at least a year, probably longer, but it's actually not been too bad. Um, anything we've needed, we're just kind of exploring the French versions of it. And the apartment is small and it was mostly furnished when we moved in. So we didn't need too much and kind of accidentally living tiny. But it's nice. <laughs> is there anything that you wish you had that uh, you don't have? I kind of wish I could figure out the music thing would have been easier if I had a smaller instrument, but alas, I love the, the giant low tones. Um, and I kind of miss some of my baking things. I baked a lot at home during the pandemic. I got really into sourdough. Um, and here I don't have like a full oven. I have a like combination oven thing because if you think Paris apartments are small, get ready for Paris kitchens within the apartments are even smaller. Um, so I kind of miss having an oven to do lots of baked goods, but at the same time, I can just walk downstairs and walk across the street and there are like three fantastic patisseries and boulangeries where I can just grab whatever bread and pastries I want. So I haven't really felt the need to bake. I just figure I will at some point. <laughs> and have you experienced oh. any sort of culture shock in Paris? Yes, but not in like an unsettling way. Like there have been very clear differences, but they've all been fun other than the amount of paperwork that you need for anything related to the government. I would be okay if they decided to use a little bit less paperwork throughout the government um, and all of those processes. So there have been some differences. I think the main one that weirdly I'm the worst at adapting to is that um, the French are really big on you always say hello and you always, um, there's certain phrases you're always supposed to say. So if you see someone eating, you basically always have to say bon appetit and you should always say bonjour or bonsoir if you walk into a store of any kind to the proprietor, which is lovely, but we kind of don't do that in America. So I haven't done it my entire life. So I'm really bad at remembering. So I'm trying to get better because I actually like the practice a lot, um, <laughs> But I still will find myself either saying bonjour when it's the evening and I should be, say bonsoir because of what time it is. Or I forget to say bon appetit when I see one of my coworkers eating. But I'm getting better. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and they also walk very, very, very fast in Paris. I thought I was a fast walker, but I'm only fast by California standards. I'm incredibly slow by Paris standards. So there's been some differences, but overall it's, it's an incredible city to live in. And we've just kind of been trying to open ourselves up to immersing ourselves as much as possible and exploring and we'll kind of watch and see what the Parisians do. And they really do after work swing by the boulangerie and, you know, do baguette s'il vous plaît, which is a beautiful practice. I've adapted that one quite easily. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's been really cool. <laughs> And now if your visa allows, do you think you will stay in Paris as long as you can? Or do you think, you know, there's somewhere else you may rather end up? It's such a tough call. We have 
fallen in love with it a lot more than we thought we would. Um, if you had asked me a few years ago, I mean, Sarah, I think we even talked about this. Like, I sort of assumed I would never want to live in a city. Um, one of the times I visited New York was with you, and the trip was great. But I walked away being like, I could never live there. I could never live in a city. I can visit a city, but live in one, that's a whole other story. But for some reason, Paris feels very livable to me. I don't know if it's because there aren't a lot of skyscrapers or if it's because, from what I can tell, the metro works really well. Maybe I've just been incredibly lucky. Um, but I've really, really fallen in love with it. So part of me is like, wow, if I could stay here forever, that would be incredible. Um, but at the same time, like maybe there are other places I would also fall in love with outside of the United States. Because I kind of never thought I would live anywhere else. But I really love it. But I need to get considerably more fluent in French, ideally. <laughs> Be able to speak a little bit faster. <laughs> and, you know, figuring out the job system. I've been trained exclusively in the American scientific system. And, you know, the idea of how you design experiments, how you do experiments. The science isn't different over here, but the structures of how you're able to do science, so how labs are created, where the money comes from because science is expensive, how you apply to different jobs at different levels, all of that is very different here. The entire academic and, and, uh, and scientific structure is different. So I kind of have to figure out how I can then fit into that if possible and how that would go because all my training is United States. All my funding record is United States. So having to figure out how that transition might work, I think it's possible and I hope it's possible, but I, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket since I don't fully know how it's going to come together. Right. Is the main person that you work with in your lab, is he from Paris or is he like from the States? He is German and he had medical training first and then PhD and then ended up in Paris. Um, so he now has French citizenship, but he's German by, you know, family nationality. Um, so he has done a little bit of that kind of switching between countries, but it is a little different going from EU countries versus from fully non-EU abroad in. Um, but we have talked a little bit about kind of what the path to citizenship might look like. And, you know, he's luckily involving me in kind of seeing how a lab here runs because it is different. And I luckily got that one fellowship. So I now officially have some sort of French funding record, <laughs> which is great. That goes a shockingly long way in science. Um, so yeah, we're we're kind of figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, and it's very exciting. Now, do you have any difficulties like getting in touch with your parents or your in-laws? It's strange. I mean, as as if anyone were to email the podcast and ask Sarah, she can fully attest I'm not great at staying really actively in touch. I have a very loose grasp of how quickly time passes and an even looser grasp on how uh you know, time zones impact people very directly. Um, so it's been a little odd, especially because where I lived in California, my parents were one town over. So for the last several years, I lived one town away from my parents. Um, and during undergrad, we lived 
not that far of a drive away from my husband's parents. This is the furthest we've lived away from at least one of our sets of families. Um, And it's strange. So I try to be more active about remembering to give them calls on the weekend or trying to remember what time it is there. (laughs) If I can call them or text them and see what's going on. Um, We assume they'll visit at some point and we'll definitely go back and visit them at some point too. But it is kind of strange for once being this far away from someone's family. (laughs) Yeah. Now, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before I start to wrap things up? I guess maybe just because I haven't talked about it much, but just to really encourage young women to get into science if possible. I know for me, science didn't really feel like a completely solid career kind of until college. Um, And since I've met a lot of incredible female scientists and people in the field, but I never would have thought that moving to Europe could have been possible through my science. You know, I kind of figured I'd be stuck in a lab doing whatever, but I'm now doing this because I went that route with science. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I think it's becoming more normal to hear from scientists and to see that scientists are everyday people, but it's really incredible what you can do if, if you don't hate some of the science, if you think cells or physics or chemistry or whatever is really cool, like absolutely explore those routes because you never know where that's going to take you. You can go such crazy places and do so much with it. Um, yeah. So do, do science. <laughs> yes. Do science. I think it is, like you said, so important for people to hear that. Now, as you know, at the end of all of my episodes, I do ask all of my guests a random question. <laughs> so, so my question for you is what would you like to disinvent? Oh my gosh. That is an incredible question and so difficult. What would I like to disinvent? It's so tough because would that then also disinvent everything that came after that one invention? I don't know. Oh, we're getting into time travel rules. Um, I guess, okay, this is maybe not the most put together answer, but I do wish that maybe not we had disinvented some of our, like, use of fossil fuels but that maybe we had found other more sustainable energies first because i realize how reliant we are as a species on not being great to our earth and able to in order to be able to travel and to do things um kind of because we figured that out first (laughs) so I don't want to disinvent all of that because travel is great and so much has come from, you know, the combustion engine, but it would have been cool if maybe we'd figured out solar power a little bit earlier. (laughs) All right. That brings this episode to a close. If you would like to follow Katie on Twitter, I will be leaving her link in the description. So feel free to go and see what she is up to and all of the other great scientists that she follows on Twitter. And of course, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description. It brings you to all of our social media, including Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
And if you would like to donate to the podcast monetarily, a link to do that is in the description as well. I always appreciate that support. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, as Katie mentioned earlier, I think that everyone has a story and I love hearing from new people and connecting with people who mean so much to me. So feel free to send my podcast an email. And thank you so much, Katie, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 